Welcome to episode number nine of the Dust Safety Science Podcast, where we're looking at increasing awareness of combustible dust hazards, generating lessons learned from incidents as they occur, and creating a worldwide global connected community around workplace safety and industries handling powdered and dusty materials. This episode comes out on January 1st, 2019. It's going to be a little bit different than the ones you've heard previously. So this will be a solo show. It'll be just me talking. And I want to go over what our goal is and what our theme is for 2019, how we're going to look to tackle workplace safety in industries handling combustible dust. If you're listening to this as it comes out, then this will give you a really good idea on the type of material we'll cover in 2019, the type of interview guests we'll have on, and what we're trying to achieve with our work. If you're listening to this in the future, stick around because I've dug into the history archives for combustible dust and pulled out a lot of interesting and useful information. My goal for this episode is not only to explain the, the theme of our work for this year, but also to pull out some really interesting information from the history archives and have you kind of scratching your head saying, oh, that's where that came from in relation to, to what I do every day, or I didn't know that about combustible dust. I will be mentioning a lot of resources, including case studies, um, incidents that occurred, research programs, and research institutions in this episode. And if you want to learn any more about this material, you can find links to it all in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash nine. That's number nine for these this week's show notes. With that, I want to say thank you again for watching and listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. And I know you'll enjoy this episode. I know you'll enjoy the what we have coming for the remainder of the year as well. Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. In today's episode, it will be a solo show, and we're going through the theme for our work for 2019 which is understanding combustible dust as a global challenge and developing global solutions. So in today's episode, I'll give a little background on what we've done over the last year, um, why we're looking at this theme in this year and what that means for what the interviews will look like, what the material coming through will look like. And then we'll spend the majority of our time looking at this concept, this understanding combustible dust as a global problem and looking for global solutions. And from that, we'll actually go back into the history archives. We'll look at um, different incidents that occurred throughout time starting way back in 1795 and we'll move forward about what research has been completed what kind of groups have been active in the space i know you're going to get a, a lot of interesting material coming through that before getting into this historical material i want to spend a little bit of time talking about what we've done this year dustx research limited our corporate entity and dustsafetyscience.com were launched in april of this year of 2018. In April, we also went to the Powder and Box Solid show in Chicago, where we presented on the Combustible Dust Incident Database, a tool for the powder safety community. And the theme and the goal for this presentation was really, you can't manage what you don't measure. And as a combustible dust community, we had a lot of questions about how many incidents were occurring, what are the causes of these incidents, and what ways of prevention and protection from an engineering standpoint, but also from the human factors of what's going on in these facilities, can we use? The mission or goal of dust safety science that we presented at this event was to see at least one year with zero fatalities worldwide by 2038. So over the next 20 year period. And the way that we will achieve that is by creating a global connected community where we can share knowledge, develop systems, and influence change in injuries handling powdered and dusty materials. So we had this big goal and we presented it out to the community. And one of the biggest criticisms that comes back obviously is, well, is this kind of a measurable goal? Is it an achievable goal? And that's why we developed the Combustible Dust Incident Database. This is really our yardstick, our measuring stick, telling us where we are today, how many injuries and fatalities are occurring, and indicating where we can go moving forward, and also showing as we, we work on different programs and as different government organizations work on different programs, are we improving combustible dust safety overall? 
So it's probably not of any surprise, but we did not achieve the goal of zero fatalities in 2018. We're still working through the year-end incident report, but in the mid-year incident report, we had fatalities in North America with grain elevator explosions within the Middle East and with India. And then there'll be more coming when we, we go through the data for the latter half of 2018 as well. That being said, we are making a lot of progress on the global connected community around combustible dust safety. With our membership directory, we now have 18 companies from everywhere from the United States to the Netherlands, from Sweden, from Germany, Finland, the United Kingdom. The website is getting around 3,000 visitors a month from around the world. We have 1,300 members on the newsletter. And the podcast is also going quite, quite well, bringing in individuals from around the world to discuss topics related to combustible dust. With the interviews that we've done to date, it's really clear to see that there's definitely overlap between what different regions of the world are doing with regards to combustible dust safety, but there's also some differences. And the question that we now have is, well, what's working in these different areas and what's not working in these different areas? Can we, how can we use that to, to develop better systems, develop better programs with regards to combustible dust safety? And that's really what's led us to this 2019 goal of understanding combustible dust as a global challenge within the community. So for the episodes moving forward, you'll still see the same kind of interviews, the same kind of episodes where we're looking at specific incidents, specific topics relevant to combustible dust safety, relevant to industries that are handling combustible dust, but also include in there, you'll see more material involving other regions. So we'll do interviews with experts in the United Kingdom, within Germany, within China, within Japan, within Africa, and try to see what's working in those regions, comparing that back to what's working in North America, and trying to get a global handle on where the where the gaps are, where the holes are, and where the solutions might actually be. So in our previous podcast episode, episode number seven, with Dr. Shok Dasadar, he mentioned that, that everything that we need to know to solve these problems from a technical aspect is already available. And I think that's true in a sense, but then there's this other aspect. What do we need to know to stop the human side of it? So how do we stop facilities from allowing their dust levels to accumulate? How do we educate people? How do we increase awareness? All of these issues are still kind of outstanding as we see with the continuation of incidents as we move forward. And the question then is, well, are there other regions in the world where we can pull in information to create better educational programs, create better awareness programs to help solve some of those problems? Really combining that engineering side with the human elements is, in in my insight, in, in my thought process, the only way forward to get to zero fatalities worldwide. So I want to switch gears now and talk a little bit about the history of combustible dust safety, both from an incident reporting perspective, but also research and industry relevance. And my thought is that no matter where you are in the world listening to this, you'll actually be intrigued and interested by the, the history and how it actually spans the, the complete globe already. It's just a matter of bringing that information in and using it to increase safety in powder handling industries worldwide. And to do that, I want to start at a bakery in Turn, Italy, on December 14th, 1785. This is most often cited as the very first case study we have for a flour dust explosion and happened at a bakery owned by Count Morizzo. The nice part about this incident is that the Count actually went through and wrote comprehensive details of what he saw and what happened at the time of this incident. I'm actually gonna be reading these details from the textbook, Dust Explosions in the Process Industries, third edition, authored by Rolf Eckhoff. We will talk about Dr. Eckhoff later in this history of combustible dust, but he's made throughout his career and lifetimes many, many, many contributions to the research field of combustible dust safety, and his textbook, Dust Explosions in the Process Industries, is really a seminal work in this area. 
in the textbook, he transcribes Count Morzo's account of this flower dust explosion fully. I'm just going to read through some of the specific some specific paragraphs, just to give you an idea of how similar it may sound to something like a U.S. Chemical Safety Board report today. So paraphrasing briefly from the transcription, on December 14th, 1785, at about six o'clock in the evening, there took place an explosion in the bakery of Count Morzo, which threw down the windows and window frames of his shop. The noise was as loud as that of a large firecracker and was heard at considerable distance. At the moment of the explosion, a very bright flame, which lasted only a few seconds, was seen in the shop, and it was immediately observed that the inflammation proceeded from the flour warehouse, which was situated over the back of the shop, and where a boy was employed in stirring some flour by the light of a lamp. The boy had his face and arms scorched by the explosion, his hair was burnt, and it was more than a fortnight before his burns were healed. He was not the only victim of this incident. Another boy who happened upon to be upon scaffolding when the explosion occurred jumped off for fear of the fire and broke his leg during the jump. So I'm going to jump down a couple paragraphs in the description to some of the key points that are still relevant today. The warehouse at the time of the accident contained about 300 sacks of flour, suspected that this flour might have been laid up in the warehouse in a damp state. Count Morzo thought it was right to investigate, and upon examination found that the flour is perfectly dry, and there's no appearance of fermentation on it. He talked to the baker, and the baker said that he had never seen flour so dry as that year, during which the weather had been remarkably dry, there having been no rain in this region of Italy for the space of five or six months. Count Morzo attributed the accident, which happened in this warehouse, to the extraordinarily dryness of the flour dust. So we've seen this before with explosions in lumber mills within Canada, where actually having a year where the product is much drier than normal has led to, to fatal and injury-causing explosions. Reading further into the account, Count Morzo states that the phenomenon, however striking at the time it happened, was not entirely new to the baker, who told me that he had, when he was a boy, witnessed similar inflammation. It took place in the flour warehouse, where they were pouring flour through a long wooden trough into a bottler while there was light on one side, but in this case the inflammation was not followed by an explosion. He mentioned to me several other incidents, which I thought it my duty to inquire into, amongst them one of which would happen to the widow Riccardi, a baker in the city, where the flour was heated to such a degree that a boy who went into the warehouse could not remain there, so much as if he was scorched by the heat. He also informed me that inflammation like that above mentioned had happened at a house to another baker in the city called Joseph Lambert. It was occasioned by shaking some large sacks, which had been filled with flour near a lighted lamp, but the flame, though pretty brisk, did not do any mischief. So I just want to read that part of the transcript because it really highlights some of the parametric issues, some of the parameters that may cause a fire or explosion to occur, but also the fact that that the baker had inherently known that these type of things could happen because he'd seen it happen through his career. It just wasn't very frequent. And it wasn't until they had this large explosion at the bakery that, that people started looking towards it. And that that's strikingly similar to what we see today. And if you if you read that report beside a U.S. Chemical Safety Board report of an incident today, you'd actually see quite a few similarities, even though it happened back in 1785. Unfortunately, these type of explosions are not just specifically located to one region of the world. Almost a decade later, in 1878, a spark ignited airborne flour dust within a mill in Minneapolis, killing 18 of the workers that were inside. And there's actually a museum to that incident um, called the Mill City Museum in Minneapolis, which I, I haven't been to, but we'll share the link to that in the show notes. And I encourage others to go look at that. And one of my goals for 2019 is to get there and see that museum.
A big driver for dust explosion research in the late 1800s and throughout most of the 1900s was actually around coal dust explosions. Also covered in dust explosions in the process industries, there's a report by an author named Engler out of Germany in 1885 covering the, the first really reporting of a hybrid mixture explosion. So this author took a, a vial full of methane gas that was inflammable, it was lower than the lower flammability limit, and he added some coal dust or carbon dust to it and found that he was able to generate an explosible mixture, a mixture that would explode. So this had obviously more than 100 or 150 years before we started talking about hybrid mixtures, was really the first hybrid mixture explosion, but also indicated relatively early on that coal dust must also be flammable at a time when really people did not understand these coal dust or coal mine explosions very well. And it was pretty pioneering to think that the dust was actually the contributing factor to cause this explosion to occur. The first textbook that solely covered dust explosions also came out of Germany. It was by an author, and you're going to have to pardon my, my German translation here, um, but an author called Bayer Dosfer, and the text was called Staub Explosion, which Staub is the translated to dust in Germany. And we'll get into why that's actually important in probably another 80 years. But this was the first textbook devoted solely to dust explosions that could occur and why they occurred. I want to highlight this textbook because there's three questions that the author poses at the start of the book in the introduction. And these are, again, coming from Ekhoff's Dust Explosion in the Process Industries. But he says that most people, um, and this is from the, the German textbook, most people would state that, are dust explosions really happening? Then the second question by plant engineers were, why are we having so many dust explosions? Then the final question asked by researchers were, why are we not having many more dust explosions? And this is back in 1925, and again, pretty much highlights where we're at today with our understanding of combustible dust explosions. The general public believes that they, they don't occur or doesn't have any knowledge of them. Plant engineers want to know, well, why are they happening so often? And researchers are trying to figure out how is it possible that they aren't happening more in these industries. Although there is notable research with regards to dust explosions in the next 50-year period, the next textbook that focused solely on the topic was not until 1973 by Sobolski. And that textbook was Coal Dust Explosions and Their Suppression. Sobolski was part of a rather large research group out of Poland that was really making a lot of headway in investigating dust explosions, specifically related to coal mine. And they actually initiated the Dust Explosion Colloquium, which was a biannual conference focused solely on dust explosion. This was held in Poland in 1984, 86, 88, 1990, and 1993. And then on the back of a lot of research into dust explosion in the late 1980s, which we'll talk about in a second, was moved to an international conference. It was subsequently held in and then in my home province of Nova Scotia, Canada in 2006. In 2008, the dust explosion colloquium was combined with a semi-annual conference on gas, vapor, liquid, and hybrid explosions to form the, the International Symposium on Hazards Prevention and Mitigation of Industrial Explosions. And this conference, ISHMI, is really the seminal conference focusing on academic research looking into industrial aspects of gas, dust, and vapor explosions. This conference is also international, starting in St. Petersburg, Russia in 2008, Belgium 2010, Krakow, Poland, back in Poland in 2012, 
in Norway in 2014, in Dalian, China in 2016, and back in Kansas City, Missouri in the United States in 2018 of this year. So I just wanted to mention Ishmi because it really demonstrates an attempt to create a, a global awareness of combustible dust hazards, but also to learn from these different groups. I've been fortunate enough to attend since 2012 uh, as part of my PhD process and was in Kansas City at the end of this year. I mentioned earlier that dust explosion research really picked up in the, the mid and late 1980s. And this also was a time where a lot of material was being created around this topic. The U.S. Bureau of Mines did a lot of research through Kenneth Cashdollar and Martin Hertzberg. This was released in, in lots of different publication forms, but also in a textbook by Nagy and Vericus. There were also dust explosion textbooks released by Bartnick out of Germany, by Fields out of the U.K., by the Institute for Chemical Engineers, ICHEMI, under several different names, and by Glor out of Switzerland. So there's lots of other textbooks and work that I, I don't really have a chance to mention here, but I just want to mention a couple few highlights. And I also want to talk about the, the late 1980s, because it was a really important time for combustible dust explosion research, in that we moved from really focusing solely on coal dust explosions to with all these textbooks, all these research papers coming out of various parts of the world, to looking at a bunch of different dust hazards. So we started to open up, what does dust explosion look like for pharmaceutical industries? What does it look like for plastic handling? What does it look like for metalworking and wood dust? And this is really a time where the research side started to open up to other industries and other materials. So that was a lot of dates and times, but I want to mention three different specific things that came out of this time, of the late 1980s, that you may find of interest today and that you see in the combustible dust world today. So the first one I'll mention is, is KST. Does any of the listeners know why it's actually called KST? What does the ST stand for? And that actually stands for a word that we mentioned earlier on, which is Staub. So that's the, the German word for dust. And the KST parameter, the deflagration parameter, volume normalized, maximum rate of pressurized, was actually named by some of this German research at that time. And then that's the parameter that we use today. The second influence I wanted to mention was from Dr. Ralph Eckhoff, who I mentioned earlier, as really being a prolific researcher in this area, spending almost 50 years of his career focusing on dust explosion research. And I just want to mention some tests that they did in Bergen, Norway. They actually did them on the isle, island of Sorta, which is just west of Bergen, in 1985. And they did these on 236 meter cubed silo structures. So these were 22 meter high, meters high, 60 or more feet high. Um, 3.7 meter diameter silos that actually dispersed grain dust and did explosion testing. This work was done in conjunction with the United States National Grain and Feed Association and really helped to design some of the venting parameters that we have today as they scale up to really large vessel sizes. And then the third and final aspect from this era that I wanted to mention was due to combustible dust parameter testing. So the 20 liter chamber sphere that we actually use today in most of our testing labs as a replica for the larger one cubic meter sphere was initiated by the research work done by Dr. Richard Seebeck during his PhD in Switzerland. So I wanted to highlight some of this outcome of, these res of this research done in the late 1980s, um, including dust explosion parameters, explosion venting, and testing and material characterization, just to demonstrate that it really is a global community that's putting these together. We have Switzerland, the United States, Norway, and Germany all kind of cooperating, creating this research. And then that gets combined into what we actually see today and what we're using today in industry. So if the late 1980s and, and 1990s were really a time for increase in research in dust explosion, 
The early 2000s were really when industry started to take notice within North America, especially. This was impartially due to the U.S. Chemical Safety Board's combustible dust hazard study that they released in 2006, which focused on the, the three large explosions they had in 2003, Hayes-Lemerings, CTA Acoustics, and West Pharmaceutical. And then this was followed by, of course, the Imperial Sugar Refinery. This really started the industry to take note that combustible dust hazards are an issue and really push forward on the NFPA guidelines, OSHA, general duty clause, and other regulatory aspects in this area within North America. So that kind of gives you an idea how we moved from research in the late 1980s, 1990s, through to industrial aspects in the early 2000s. Unfortunately, these explosions continued to occur around the world. In 1992, we had the West Strait coal mine explosion that took the lives of 26 miners just an hour outside of my, my home here in Nova Scotia. In 2013, there was a sugar terminal explosion in Port of Santos, Brazil. This actually caused serious logistical problems since 60% of the raw sugar produced in Brazil was disposed of through that port. This caused the New York Stock Exchange to reach its highest levels since January of that year, just demonstrating that dust explosions don't only impact the facility or the people involved, but also can have a larger impact. And unfortunately, as we get more modernized and get bigger groups of people together, the impact of these explosions seems to be increasing. In 2014, there was a very large explosion in Kuncheng, China, where a aluminum polishing plant had a large explosion. They had aluminum dust throughout the facility. This actually fatally injured 146 workers, injured another 114 that were on site. And in 2015, a corn dust explosion, corn starch explosion rather, in New Taipei, Taiwan, actually injured 508 people, 199 of those were in critical condition at a concert when the corn dust was, was sprayed over the crowd and ignited off the, the lighting systems that, uh, that heated it. So you can find all these incidents listed in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash nine for this episode. I didn't want to really go into any of them in, in detail, but just to show the breadth and width of the combustible dust issue, how it's not really located in one geography. And then going back through the history of these incidents, I just want to show how we went from having explosions all over the world to research in the area to now this bigger push on industrial um, recognition of the hazards and how that all ties together. And I truly believe now that we have more industrial recognition of the hazard with the work from the Chemical Safety Board and other groups around the world that we're really in a time of transition. I think right now what we see a lot is Different parts of the world are treating combustible dust safety differently. Different government groups are, are treating differently. Sometimes it's privatized, sometimes it's done by the government. The question is, what's the most effective approach? And I really see this as a similar transition to research in the late 1980s, where a lot of different groups came together to brainstorm and say, hey, this is what's working in my region. This is what's working with the material I'm working with. And then we collectively were able to put together the technical components that now go into a lot of the standards that you see today. But in my mind, the same things needed today with the different systems, the different programs, different government approaches to combustible dust safety from the human side. So how do we actually get facilities to clean up their combustible dust, put in proper prevention and protection measures in order to, to mitigate an explosion if it does happen or mitigate a fire if it does happen or to prevent these from happening in the first place? And how do we increase awareness? How do we do education? I think similarly to the, the technical answers already being there, these answers are also already there around the world. We just haven't collected them yet. So that's really what the, the goal of this year is. 
is to start collecting these answers from around the world, see what is working in different parts of the world, bring that to North America, see what's working in North America, and bringing that elsewhere in the world as well. And this podcast, I really want to be a platform for doing that, a platform com for communicating combustible hazards around the world, where we interview experts, where we bring people in. And that's really the genesis and where the thought process came from for our theme this year, understanding combustible dust as a global challenge and developing global solutions. So I'm really looking forward to what's to come in 2019. I'm really looking forward to all the interviews that we'll be doing, the great material we'll be putting out there and interacting with you, the listener, on what you think the biggest challenges are. And at the end of the day, to really start looking inward and saying, well, how can we actually prevent these incidents from happening in the future? As always, I want to thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you're really excited for where we're going to be heading in 2019 with this work. So I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Dust Safety Science Podcast and hearing about what our theme and what our goals are for 2019, where we're headed. And I hope you also enjoyed the, the history view of combustible dust safety. As I mentioned in the introduction, the goal was really to give an idea of, of how this is really a global problem, how there's pieces of it that have been collected throughout time, throughout different regions of the world, and how those actually impact us today. My goal was really to, to make you stop and think, hey, that's where that piece of technology came from, or that's where that idea came from in regards to what I'm doing every day. Thank you again. And if you're interested in being interviewed on the Dust Safety Science Podcast, you can fill out the application form at dustsafetyscience.com slash podcast. If you scroll down there, there's a, there's a form for filling out to be a guest on the show. And other than that, I hope you have a great week. And I look forward to talking next week with our first international guest, Alan Tilsley out of the UK about biomass explosion hazards and how combustible dust safety is treated in the United Kingdom. <laughs>